If you've got your Bibles, just open up to, or your phones to Matthew 10. If you're watching online, welcome, Selwyn. I said I'd say welcome, so welcome, Selwyn, my mate in, uh, in Auckland. <laughs> he tunes in every Sunday morning, um, no matter whether he's working in his digger or just at home. But um, welcome, buddy. So we're going to read uh, this passage that we had looked at last week, which is Matthew 10, 34 to 39. Um, and we're going to focus on verse 39 because 39 defines 34 to 38. And there's some key words in there that I want us to unpack and to look at and to ask some questions around. So it says this in Matthew 10 verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me, follow after me, is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So Father, this morning, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're always waiting. And Lord, we pray you will open up your living words to us. Lord, I pray that you would open up our minds to understand your word. I thank you this is what you did, Jesus, for the disciples in Luke. When they didn't understand or comprehend what was concealed from them but for them. And so this morning, Lord, we ask you to open up our hearts and our minds to understand, to see, to hear the depth and the dimension of your living word that performs a work within us. We thank you that it is your word that changes us, your spiritual word, your spiritual manna. Lord, I thank you that we can eat natural food this morning. But Lord, it's a time where we want to eat a food that is eternal that never perishes, that continues to nourish our soul. Lord, I thank you that your word says that your spiritual word is to dwell in us richly. And so, Father, this morning, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here to minister to us. You are here to counsel us. You are here to teach us and to lead us into the fullness of this life in your Son, that we can just live this life out and be the demonstration of you upon this earth. We thank you for the reality of this, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, you know, when I, when I read these things or this passage, I, I see two tests. And the first test is the relational test. Who do I love? And then the second test is a missional test. Who am I going to live for and with? He asked me questions. He says, if you love the natural more than the spiritual, you're not worthy of me. And then he says, you've got to live for a life that's mine, not your own. So there are these two tests. The Bible says, test to see whether you're in this thing called faith. Tests are good. Who liked tests at school? Anybody? No, not really. <laughs> Mel says she studied. <laughs> Did you turn up for the exam, though? Uh, mostly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> when she wasn't partying. But, um... <laughs> 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 
But the Bible is full of tests, isn't it? He says, test to see. Test to see if you've got this faith more precious than gold. Examine yourself. And so God is always laying before us his way, his truth, and we are to test ourselves to see whether we're in this. So here's a test. He says to me, he says to us, he says, if you love someone more than me, then you're not worthy. There's a test. There's the relational test. And the missional test is, he says, if you don't deny yourself and pick up your cross, you really can't be my disciple. So here's the missional test. And, you know, when you sit sit a test, you want to pass the test. You want to do well. You you know, people come out with honors. People come out, Danielle is studying right now, and her heart is to do the best she can be, to pass, not just get across the line, not just get 50%, but to do as best as she can do. And, you know, there's a life in Christ which is more than food and more than clothing. There's the more than resurrected life. He says, I've come to bring life and life abundantly. Jesus doesn't want you just in life. He wants you in abundant life. So what does that even look like? You know, and as I was meditating on these things, the relational and the functional, it got me thinking about, well, what gospel have I actually received? What gospel have I bought into as my primary gospel? Is it a relational gospel first or a functional gospel first? Is it a functional gospel first and then a relational gospel second? Because the order will define how I live. Then I started thinking about this. Well, you could almost put, well, the relational test is the bride test. And the missional test is the talents test. So am I going to be part of the bride? You know, there's 10 virgins and five don't enter into the wedding chamber and five do because five were ready and five weren't. When you think about the talents, two of those who received talents actually did something with it and one guy buried it. And so there's these tests and through his power, we are to pass the test. In my own strength, in my own ability, I cannot love my wife, my children, you guys more than I can't. Sorry, I can't love you guys if I'm not in the life of Christ. Can I? The way I'm instructed to, and I won't live for Him. I'll live for me if I'm not in Christ. And so this is a challenge for us. And this is why He says, "I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword." I came to do a work, a divine work with my word, which is divine. Everything in God is holy, is it not? So his word, he is holy. His word is holy. And the Bible says his word performs its work in us. So it's not my ability to try and love you like Christ. It's not in my strength. It can't be in my human capacity to try and live this out and even live for him in my human strength. And this is what we're going to look at in verse 39. Because it says that we must lose our life for his sake. There's massive truth sitting behind those words. Not give your life for your sake, but to lose your life for his sake. And so we want to unpack more of this today and then see how this one verse defines 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39. Because if I'm losing my life for my sake, I guarantee you I will not be loving him more than uh, you guys. 
Cool. So, Mel, start with you. <laughs> Let's start from verse 39 on your thoughts around this. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Hello. Oh, there we go. Um, <laughs> what a morning it's been. It's so great to be here together. And um, just looking across, it's like this is family, you know. Um, so I guess verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's interesting. I, I never, the words lose it for my sake, I've actually never realized uh how important that is, um, and, and until sort of looking at it now, it's like that. It makes sense to me, but I just, I, I guess, I never quite realised the word, how how weighty that word is. That it's for His sake, um, and it reminded me of how in Ezekiel uh, thirty six, God says, you know, to the house of Israel, it is not for your sake that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And I think it's very easy for us as believers to believe that Christ came to lay his life down for sinners that we would be saved, which is absolutely true, absolutely vital to our salvation, but it was for his sake and for his glory. And so it's not about this life of coming into just a life and surviving, but it's coming into, um, you know, not just recovering from being a sinner, but it's coming into this life of righteousness, this life of righteousness that uh, brings glory to the Father, um, the, that who becomes like his son, um, and, and that we, be, we go from being orphans to children. And so it's, it's kind of like I see this negative into neutral but they're neutral into positive. And I think it's very easy just to sit at neutral. I'm a recovered sinner. But, but the difference, and I think, you know, as we can be believers but still living as unbelievers, when we live um, as people that have been saved and supply, like now given this whole new supply, this whole new source, this whole new provision of life, uh, but we, we use this account of Christ uh, for our own sake, and then we still live on as though, you know, we're taking his provision, even his breath that he's given us, and we live for ourselves. We're... Uh, Coming to, uh, to live for his sake is to know that your life, this life in him has come from him. And every provision and power he's given you in this life is for his employments. It's for his um, ad- administration. It's for his plan, his purpose, and his glory. I was uh, thinking about um, when I was a little girl, um, after school, um, me and my friends, we would walk home and we would go past the local supermarket always hungry, and uh, we would pop in, and my mum had an account set up, so under her name, <laughs> with provision, and um, if I felt like a pie, that's where I'd go, and um, I, you know, me and my friends would go, we would pick our favourite pie, and then all I would need to do is sign my name. I would pay for the pie, but, you know, didn't have money, it would just go on her accounts, and um, which she was all fine about, just save her a nose. I wasn't, you know, just 
feeding off. But um, you know, it, it it was the fact that she that there was this provision and authority that I could sign my name on her account, and she was like, "Yes, she is my daughter. She may she may live from this provision, uh, this supply. I am." This, you know, her provider, um, and how I use that money, yes, was to feed my belly. Uh, but I guess the, what the example I'm trying to use is with, you know, Christ, um, Christ being our new source and new life and provision. What He provides is for us to come into His life for His sake and for His glory. And so, how we use what we're we're given and who we value, which is Christ, and how we value is how we're going to really live our lives from that place. But um, yeah, I, that's kind of how I see it from the difference between living, uh, losing life. Um, what is it? He who finds life will lose it, but he who loses life for my sake will find it. The other thing was he who loses his life. For me, um, losing my life, it wasn't um, giving up my life. It was like, uh, I was thinking about this morning, it's like he gave me this picture of me just being a product in the marketplace. And, you know, Jesus comes in and he, he sees many, but say vases, I had this picture of a vase, and I'm this like vase that's just sitting on the shelf. And my whole life as a vase on the shelf was random. I didn't know who would pick me, who would want me. Someone might buy me for a little bit and then move me on, you know. And this life before Christ can be very random, very uncertain, very unknown. And because we're living for our own sake, because we don't know who we are and who cares for us and whose special possession we are, we live in this unknown place of never really knowing where our security is coming from. But it's like Christ came in and he went, I want that one. And I was like, me? And he's like, I want that one and took hold of me. And it was like, by faith, it was like, I am wanted. I am seen. I am cared for. Wow, he picked me. And then I fell in love and fell in love. You know, it wasn't... um, trying to give up things to become a better person because I thought that's what Christianity was. It's like literally just falling in love, falling in the hands of my Savior, falling in the, uh, the goodness of who he is and, and knowing now that the old life on the shelf, not knowing, uh, is gone and it's been lost because it's been enveloped in the love of the hands and heart of the Savior. Which would be a relational-based gospel, isn't it? Absolutely. Primarily before function. Absolutely. I think this is the key because it's like, you know, he says, do not think I came to bring peace. What did Jesus bring with him when he came? His kingdom. And so who are to be the the ambassadors of that kingdom? The body of Christ. So Israel were to be the subjects. They were supposed to bring forth the kingdom of God on the earth, but they missed their chance because they rejected the king of the kingdom. So Jesus brings with him his governmental rulership, his kingdom, and then turns and says, you are going to be the subjects of the kingdom to administer my spiritual kingdom on earth. So it's not just about falling in love with me and having me as the center of your world. It's about then being a minister of my kingdom on the earth but unless you know me and fall in love with me then you'll never truly be able to live that kingdom life out and administer 
you'll end up doing it your own way if in fact you give it a go because you haven't entered in for my sake, you've entered in for your sake and so you're still going to define how that kingdom is outworked. So we have to realise there is a relational reality to this, which we do, and then there's a functional reality. So our entire lives get swallowed up in those two things which are one posture. Hence, it's no longer living for you and wanting to be what you want to be. It's about living in him, with him, for him, from him as to why he even created and came. And we can miss that other reality and just live for ourselves while this other domain is present on the earth because we're living for our life and missing this opportunity which we've been given. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us, but you then don't enter into the life that he actually came to bring. So when he says life is more than food and the body is more than clothing, why are you worried about this life when there's this other eternal life with an eternal purpose to enter into, which is going to trump this natural life? Can you hear the difference? And this is why it's spiritual and physical. This is why there are these two domains. There's the physical world and the spiritual world, but Jesus brought his spiritual domain with him. But it's an invisible one. It's an unseen one, but seen one. So he is the unseen, seen one, isn't he? He entered into our earth, and you could see him, but could you see him? You can hear him, but could you hear him? Can you receive the mana that comes from the invisible realm into the seen realm? But you go, where'd you get that from? Because I can't find that. And the life source, the muffin, doesn't produce this eternal life. No, it never will because it's from another place. And so, you know, do not think I came to bring peace. I've come to bring my kingdom. And I'm coming back to establish that literally on this earth. So this is pretty big stuff. Sam, what are your thoughts, mate? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big verse, hey? And I think um, it's the sort of verse that's so big that you just can easily just skim and read over it without actually um, kind of seeing what it is that it's what's up being articulated here. You know, the first part of it is he who has found his life will lose it, you know, and, and to me, he's saying, he, who's, he who has found his life and his comfort and his home here on earth is living beneath who you were called to be because your home was never supposed to be here on earth, you know, so he says, he who has found his life will lose it, that if you find your identity, your sense of self-worth, your purpose through any earthly natural thing, your, we've talked about relationships, if, if you find it through people, but also if you find it through function, if you find the, you just managed to find the career that fulfills you, or you, you just managed to find that perfect person to marry, or you just managed to produce the most awesome, perfect kids. I don't know. Does that chuckle mean that you've nailed it? (laughs) Or not nailed it? I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, all of these things are all right and good, 
but in pursuing them and finding a sense of worth and identity in them, you might just disqualify yourself from who you were always called to be. Because all of those things were given by God to point you to something, a heavenly and eternal calling that was always supposed to be bigger than those things. And so what he's not saying is that these things are evil or or not right or not okay. He's saying actually they are. But if you... Um, but if you find yourself in those things, you have sold yourself short on who you were always called and predestined to be. You know, the, the, the series and the thing that we're looking at is about being conformed to his image. And he has predestined before creation ever was that we would be part of this heavenly and eternal kingdom that Greg's talking about. And so to find yourself in these other things is to disqualify yourself from what he's always called you to be. There needs to be a, a reordering. You know, what, what happened at the fall was that we, that we lost who we were created to be. And the gospel puts us the right way up and it puts our lives back and says that, that living for God and living for who he's created us to be, the eternal marriage, the eternal sons, um, that is number one, and the things of earth are number two, um, and he, he writes us up in the right way and says this, he who has found his life will lose it. So if you find identity in those things, you'll lose it for eternity. But then he says, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. And so you're not losing, when he talks about the sword, he's not, like we talked about last week, he's not talking about family violence, he's talking about being entirely set apart for something that's bigger than this earth. And in losing your life for his sake, you actually find who, you, who he has created you to be from the foundations of the world, you know. So. Cool. Joe. Hard to know where to start sometimes. Cool. Look, I think the the thing always to have in the front of our minds here is it starts in the spirit and it continues in the spirit. So this isn't this reordering that Sam's talking about isn't now we're saved. Our job is to put this in place. This is the work of the spirit in our lives, does this divine ordering as we give him rulership of our lives. This, for my sake. I actually hadn't realised, I thought I knew that verse well, but I hadn't seen the for my sake in the middle of it either. And look, it's... To let go of these other things... He's talking about a reality that he was bringing, as Greg said, this kingdom that he was bringing that the people of God hadn't had access to before. This kind of joining of his people with God had not been possible before. This is what Christ came to establish. And this is why seeing his purposes are so important, I think, because it is the the seeing of the joining, the covenant that he has established side by side with him is the thing that shows us that these other things are idols in our lives. It is the thing that empowers us to drop them in turn because we, we see the nature of our relationship with him and from there 
he illuminates and reorders so that our life becomes completely <laughs> the life that already is. In the same way that Nick and I were already fully married on the day we exchanged our vows, but the rest of our life together is the outworking and the deepening and the manifestation of that covenant um, by the Spirit. That is what our, our life on earth is. And I think that's such a good typology, you know, because I think when you, when you get married, the, the joy that you find in the married life is great. You know, you, um, you, you let go of the single life and you lay hold of the married life and in the relationship, you find you find such fulfilment that you don't, for the rest of your days, hope and wish that you could be single again. You know, as good as that can be. You know, when it's right and and in Him and for the time. I'm not saying marriage is hear, hear what I'm saying in the spirit and not in the natural. You know, you lose singleness and you find and and you find this new way of living and operating, you don't pine for the old because the joy that you found is greater than what you had, you know? And there's this, um, he was just reminding me this morning actually that the outworking and the fulfilment of the fullness of that covenant, so I took Nick's name the day I married him, so I was then Joe Hughes, but on that first, so we're fully married, um, but you couldn't have on that first day said that my word was Nick's word and that I knew Nick's mind in the way that I do now. So it's the, this is where he talks to people about, you did things in my name, but you didn't know me. So there's this, in the same way that in marriage, there's this deeper knowing that comes from the outworking of the covenant. Likewise in him, it is the spirit in us that effectively is on both sides of this covenant and brings us into this knowing. That means that my word is now his word because of our knowledge of each other. I think the, the challenge in all this is, you know, like we talk about, everything is in a spiritual dimension. And so to lose you when you are wired to hang on to you. So it's not, you know, like predominantly this is the message that I've heard preached. Come to Jesus and give your life. Okay. But actually, that's not what the scriptures say. It says, come to Christ and lose your very being. Like, who you think you are, the life you've been given, what you think. The, everything about you needs to be lost because I want to give you something brand new because you don't know who you've really been predestined to be and who you think you are, you're not. So it's not the simple... You know, very, it's simple in him, but it's deep in the spirit. So it's not even like, oh, yeah, okay, come to Christ. I've got to, I've got to lose some time. You know, I've got, I've got to spend some time now coming to a service. I've got, I'm going to lose some money because I'm, you know, I've been asked to give. I'm going to, I'm going to lose. No, no, it's lose every aspect of you to find you. Yes, that's right. That's right. And when you, don't know what finding you looks like and you're naturally wired to hang on to you, that sounds foolish, does, does it not? Hence the gospel's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of salvation. And so there's a reality to even recognize. Otherwise, you just 
give you, but you still give you. So the Bible says Peter left everything to follow Jesus, correct? But you've got to ask yourself what he actually left and what who he didn't leave. So he left his livelihood, he left relationships, but who came along with Peter? Peter. And so when Peter was asked to lose himself, what did he do? He didn't. See? So this is how deep this is. He said, I will go where you go. I am prepared to die with you. I will. And then when he was given the opportunity to live what he professed out, he did the opposite. Why? Because he only gave, he didn't lose. And this is all a supernatural work of power that brings you into reality. So then when you say yes, because everything is sovereign, isn't it? This is a sovereignty issue. Everything in God. Do you know that there is, it's, life in Christ is based on conditions, His unconditional love, the gift, brings you in. Then the next part, it's all conditional, based on your obedience, to know the sovereign plan. There's only one way, is there not? Is that way narrow? So the only way to enter into life, there's one way. There is not two ways, there is not ten ways, there is one way, and that way is what? Flesh or spirit? So everything in him is sovereign in an alignment to his purpose and his plan and who he is. So then everything becomes conditional once you receive him. So if we're not living in the conditional, let's say, covenant that God makes with his church, then how are we ever going to receive the life if I haven't lost my life for his sake if I've lost it for mine? Because when you lose your life for your sake, it comes with your conditions. You're going, yeah, I'm giving my life based on these conditions. This is how we serve sometimes. I'll serve based on these conditions. That's not service. You see, you've got to be surrendered before you're committed. And when you don't lose your life but give your life, you give your life based on condition. So I'm going to be committed, but I'm not surrendered. They're very different realities. Because you commit based still on your own reality. I'll give you this much time. I'll give you this much. And I'm determining who's giving what. Rather than losing the whole reality, being emptied and going, you define it all, Lord. I am a completely emptied vessel and you define me now. Can you hear the difference between those realities? And so this is why we can struggle with life because we enter in but actually, we're still basing a lot of it on our conditions with God. So we negotiate with God. Anyone done that? You do this, I'll do that. You do this, I'll do that. I'll do this, you do this for me. And we think we're giving him a good DLA. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 it's all 
and we start from this awe. And so yet, that's not how I started. He meets me with what I give, and then he goes, right, cool, because I love you at this place. Now let's go to work together. You're going to lay your life down in view of my mercy, and I'm going to be the surgeon that goes to work on your heart. And I am going to build you through your submission, your surrender to my sovereignty. Because this is a sovereignty issue. It's a God issue. It's a lordship issue. Worship is a lordship issue. Who is going to be the creation and who's going to be the creator? Who's going to be the clay and who's going to be the mold of the clay? Yeah. Um, Oh, sorry. Sorry, Sam. I'll, just with what you were saying about the conditions, like going going into it with our conditions and with our outcome, I'll do this, hoping that you will do this. And the difference between my sake, doing things for my sake or his sake, I think, begs the question of asking ourselves, why do I do what I do? Do I do it because of Christ or do I do it because... That's what I want. And it's that because, because is such a big word, because it, it, it feeds into the outcome. It's the root, the root reason why we do things or where that's coming from will determine the outcome. And so I do it for the cause of Christ. I do it because of the supply of Christ. I do it because of his sake. It's very different from the supply that comes from myself because of what I want and the outcomes that I want to determine from it. So there's a, again, it comes back to that tap root as well, isn't it? The root of why we do what we do, the root of why we live the way we live, really determines or shows or the evidence of whose sake we're living for, my sake or his. Definitely. And I think that there are two very different realities. Eh? You know, giving your life and losing your life, you know, because I think it can be so easy to think, um, you know, I've, I've got all of these different priorities and you give some of your time to your kids and you give some of your time to your wife and you give some of your time um, to, to family time and you give some of your time on a Sunday morning to a church family. To me, if, you know, if we have priorities, then we're still living in I give my life. What, what about... What about losing, when you lose your life, you don't have, you've only got one priority for your entire being and for your entire life. And you might have things that you need to logistically organize. We have a lot of things in our household that we need to logistically organize, particularly, you know, when we've got work and Tessa study, which is all day and all night, and a three-year-old, and there's a lot of, a lot of things but there's a big difference between having to navigate your priorities and every time something else comes across your plate and you're asked to serve maybe in a slightly different way or you're asked to give some of your time or your money, you've got to go right back to the start and think, do I really want to give? It, it's, it's always an ask. It's always you ask for something more than what you can give. But what if you just lost your life? That you made that transaction once for all, that you've, you've lost yourself, not for your own sake, not for all of these different things or the well-being of all these different people, but actually you, you lose yourself in him so that he becomes your priority and he defines 
how it is that you navigate the ins and outs of life and what you give your time to and what your energy is spent on. It's a completely, completely different way of, of living and operating. Um, so that when someone asks something of you, it's all of a sudden there's no frustration, it's not too much um, because you are actually not living for you anymore. You've lost your life in him and you've found a completely different source of life and way of life and motive for life being in him. You know. The transition, well, one way of describing this transition, because we don't think this is what we're doing. We think God is our priority and we're living for God. And the issue, I think, and what this transition that he takes us through does is it takes us from living for God and thinking we're doing things for God first and foremost to living with God because the living with God, it's the place we live from and it's the place we do all things from. Um, So I just want to say that because I think sometimes it can seem as if we're saying that people don't, that God, (laughs) we don't know or I didn't know that I wasn't living with God, I was living for God. And so what that meant is there was this fractured life and a lot of trying to be a good Christian and what he had to do is come and say, actually it's not, I'm not interested in this trying to be a good Christian and doing all of these things for me. I want to show you this joined life that we already have and I want you to live from that and that is where the order comes from. So don't try and lose your life. (laughs) Don't try, that's just another trying to be a good Christian. I want to show you where you already live from. Because he guarantees, you know what I love about God, he guarantees a reality. And he speaks in absolute absolutes. So he speaks in promises because he knows every promise in him is yes and amen. So he's not a liar and he's unchangeable. So we can count on God, we can trust in God as to what he says is. So then our role in that is coming into that truth, isn't it? So all we're to do is be the recipients of what he says. So he just says this, he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So what I hope you're hearing is two lives. There is the life in Christ, okay, being raised in Christ, and then there's the life raised around it all. And he's saying, if you lose this old through my power, you will find this new. You will. There's no if, buts, what, when. You will. Because my power brings you into my life for you through your surrender. So that's our challenge because the hardest thing for us is to believe in something we have yet to have a reference for. So then when it's declared like it is now, your heart is going, hmm, do I believe that? I don't know that's true. Now those are thoughts, mindsets that can rob you if not taken captive. 
Because a thought can create unbelief. Hence, do not think. And unbelief keeps you out of the reality of God because the Israelites, it never profited them what they heard when it was declared because they were full of unbelief even though they saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. So miracles don't change the heart of a person primarily. One may, but they don't necessarily. More often than not, they don't. They're just an amazing testimony of the work of God, but they don't change the inner realm. And so there's an inner realm that needs to shift. There's an inner realm that needs to break. There's an inner realm that needs to be crushed. There's an inner realm that needs to be broken on a cornerstone and smashed. So then there's a reality of this life becomes yes and amen. I don't understand what I just heard, but I say yes and amen because my spirit leaps towards something that I recognize as a spiritual word. Even though it's being described through an English language, it's a spiritual word. It's manna from above. And so there's the promise right there. So the wrestle for us is to wrestle in the spirit with the Holy Spirit and one another and go, man, I don't get that. But I'm going after that. That's right. yeah. Yeah. And that's the only way into it is to go, I need to lay all things aside and lay hold of a reality that I'm hearing about that I do not yet understand. Yes. You see, the parable of the sower, the one who heard, but there was no root. So they get excited for a while and then... What they heard fades away. There was the other one that heard, but the challenges of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choked what they heard. No life. And it was the one that heard and understood the spiritual seed that was being communicated from spirit to spirit that then came forth out of that one 30, 60, 100 fold of fruit in accordance to what was sown. So it's in accordance to what is sown, it produces fruit of its kind. But there were three that one didn't hear at all, two heard, but only one heard and understood. And so there's this pursuit that's required. The Holy Spirit might, you might hear and understand all in the same and go, yes and amen. And there may just be a hearing and then there's a pursuit that's needed to understand what you heard. And then you might not even hear at all. And so these are the dynamics and the challenges of true kingdom living, true kingdom life, the spiritual kingdom that Jesus brought with him. But the challenge is, see, if, if we don't lose our life based on his sake, then we're losing it on our sake. And then we run off. And we try then to define all of this through our sake which means we're not in life. And that's why he says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you know, if you don't have love, if you don't have the substance of me within you, everything you're going to do is pretty much a waste of time. Yes. He says you can even give your own life and it's a waste of time. So the challenge is what I see is there's two people groups primarily. Well, there's three, but there's two. There are the people, Christians, who are living for themselves. Okay? So they come along to services and do certain things, but they're really living for themselves. They add Jesus on. He's an add-on. 
Okay? Because there's a massive difference between Christ being in your life and Christ being your life. They sound the same, though, don't they? In your life, is he your life? If he removed himself out of you, would you fall over dead? Is he the air you breathe? Is he the food you eat? Is he the light of your world? Or is he just in your life who you draw on in times of need? Okay, so this is where God's trying to take us as a church, that he is the source of our life. He might be in our life, but he wants to transition you from being in you to being your life, being one with him, okay? And so, I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> this, where was I going? Ah, oh, sorry, two group, three groups of people. So there's the Christians who are really living for themselves, then there are these other group of people that want to live for him. And they're very passionate about the, uh, the missional aspect. They're passionate about seeing the lost saved. They're passionate about getting out their gifts. They're passionate about laying hands on them. They're very passionate about the works, which is awesome. But all those works are still being defined by them. Okay, This is how you get burnout and stress. Because everything we're doing... One, it's coming from my own strength because I only gave my life. I haven't lost it. So I'm still the source of my own life. I am the strength of my own life, even though I'm attempting to do all these works. Okay? So there are these people, and they're out there, and they want to make it happen. They're, we're going to do this. We're gonna, this is how you get, I'm, we're going to build the church. We're going to build the kingdom. We're going to change the world, people. The intent is good. The heart is good. The meaning is good. But if I haven't lost me, then it's still me defining all that, even though it sounds amazing. Lord, Lord, we healed the sick, raised the dead, did all stuff. Who are you? So these two groups, now predominantly they throw rocks at one another. They stand in the river and they biff rocks. And there are these other, this third group who sort of aren't as many people. And they come along and they understand that it's about relational first. And they understand it's about functional second. And they understand it's one gospel. And what they try to do is they try to reach out to these people and bring them in. And they try to reach out to these people and bring them in and be peacemakers. Because they have lost their life. They understand that they've come into life and they understand the way of life and how that way works. And then they reach out to both to say, come here. But see, there's a wrestle for that because those two people have yet to lose their life. They've only given their life for their own sake. And so there's this thing that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. And so the challenge is there is a promise of an inner eternal life in you and for you and I but there's only one way to that life and it defines whether you love someone more than him it defines who you live for and the challenge for us is to be humble enough as a whole to want to pursue that knowing that we've got to leave everything that we may think behind and if we don't, then there'll be clashes. And so those three groups of people can be in this very room. Can I just... You can. I love, I love what you've just described about the, the peacemakers that are stretching their arms out to the two different groups. Because um, it 
it speaks of, you know, the when when Christ justified us, and I know I've mentioned this before about the weighing scales. You know, in the marketplace, what they would do to try to deceive um, buyers of the worth of things that they were trying to sell them, they would actually make the, um, the with the weight scales, they would make one arm shorter than the other so that they could sort of deceive the people in thinking that the worth was the same. But but the equal scales is is what God is after and it says in Proverbs 20:10 that false weights and unequal measures the Lord detests double standards of every kind and what I really want to present and add to what Greg is saying is that you know as unbelievers as believers who are living for our own sake we can be the that seller who's trying to Deceive the true weight of Christ in us. If we're living for our own sake, from our own supply, we're not of an even weight of what Christ is who's been poured into us. And so what we do is we try supplement our little life with extra things and we add things on to try measure up but that means you're not worthy. You're not, it's not the actual value of Christ. And so we have this this. The cross, you know, when Christ came and died for us, he made us equal. But we can still live as though we're not, and we can try still pile things on for our own sake to, to appear as though, but we will become insufficient. And this is what we are looking at in Luke a few weeks ago. You know, can a king go out to war and then find out that his resources are unequal? You know, can a man start building and then find out that he can't complete the work? Well, no, but as believers... We don't, I, I go, yeah, I'm not going to be that person that's not going to be made complete. I'm not going to be the king that's insufficient resource only because of who I'm supplied by, only because of who has, has given the life that he is the guarantor of this work being worked. That he, you know, that it says in Hebrews 11, and I just, I really want to feast on this guarantor thing. Is Christ credible? Yeah. Is, can we actually believe that he's going to outwork what he says he is. Can we depend everything, all of ourselves, on who he says he is? Because it says that in Hebrews 6.13, God's infallible purpose in Christ. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because, like, let's feast on this, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Oh, Oh my goodness, you know, that's by living for his sake, we're like, we know that you're guaranteeing what you're going to do, that you, that you didn't make an oath, you couldn't make an oath on anyone else other than your own account, than your own being, the great I am, the, the, the father who is um, the heavenly father of every family on earth, heaven and in heaven. It's like by himself, he's like, there's no one greater that I can make this oath by. I am the guarantor, the creator, the sovereign king. Um, and then it talks about, um, oh, I'll just finish this. He could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you, multiply, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them and an end of all dispute. See, we don't, we don't have to 
live in this unknown am I, it's this absolute reality of what he's guaranteed um, and there's no dispute about it. Thus God determining to show more abundantly (laughs) to the heirs of promise where the heirs of promise by faith of the seed of Abraham. More abundantly to the ears of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil." where the forerunner has entered for us, he's our champion, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The priest, the peacemaker, who stretched out his arms, his arms are equal. He's not, he's not deceiving us. He, he has no deception in him. He cannot tell a lie. He is the guarantor of his own oath with equal hands out, the peacemaker that brings us and draws us all in together. Um, and lastly, that psalm about, you know, he, um, uh, he, he lifts his word above his name. Now, there's different descriptions. Some say according to his name. Some say um, above his name. But I hear that and I go, everything he's ever told us is signed off with his name, guaranteed his name. Everything he promises us ends with his name. And yes, all, everything he ever says is according to who he is, his very being, his essence of love. Um, and so, man, where, <laughs> when our lives are hidden in that, in, in him, in the guarantor, it's inescapable. We can't live any other way. We can't function any other way. Um, but it has to be an enveloping life hidden in him that we become who we truly are. Can I just say before I think Sam wants to share is that everything you're hearing is of the spirit. Okay, so we're we're describing a spiritual domain right now, you know, and so obviously we we need to be able to hear this through the spiritual domain, the spiritual hearing, because we're describing a realm that is not earthly. We're describing a life that. To the measure that we're in it, we've discovered in the person Christ that it's a living reality. It's a seed that's spirit. Okay, so if you're struggling, don't write it off because you're going, oh, I don't understand this, I don't understand this. Just go, that's okay. But don't, but go, I'm going to seek and I'm going to ask and I'm going to knock because I'm hearing something that may not be my reality. That's okay. Okay. But I can feel the weight even of what Mal just said. You know, the order of Melchizedek was not a physical lineage. Okay? This whole entire thing has got nothing to do with flesh, physical. It is all kingdom, domain, spiritual reality that you're hearing. Okay, questions. Who has a question that you'd like to throw out there?
If you do, just give us a quick wave and Rochelle will get a, a mic in your hand. Hold on. Hold on. We'll just ask for questions first. If we can just, if, so if you have a question before comments, anyone got a question? Yeah, over here, Chris. Run, Mr. Castello, run. <laughs> run, Forrest, run. <laughs> Might need to be turned on as well. Is losing your life for his sake a one-off event or a continual process? It, well, personally, it's both, while at the same time it's a position of one. Classic Greg answer. <laughs> the mystery of godliness is great. Um, and I answer that from the basis of, I believe, once you've lost your will... That's a one-off. Because a power comes in and severs you from you and your will. Okay? So I believe there's a, there's a dimension in the spirit where that's a one-off. Um, then I then go and enter into a reality of my mind needs to be renewed. There may be things God asks me to do and I'm going, oh my goodness, that's a bit scary, but I'm going to give that a go and there's a choice. So of, you know, like, I'm going to choose your will over my will or the doing, your doing over my doing, you know, go and see that person and prophesy over them. Um, But that's different to me and my will trying to define everything in him. That help? So I, 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 my personal experience is there can be a one-off where he releases you from you, meaning the will that you want to control you. You want to control, keep you in control, it's going to be based, you're going to just, you know, that thing. That can be removed from you called your human will. And he can, through his, but it's all done through power. And he, through his power, severs that tie, reroutes you. And now it's just like, I'm no longer getting in the way of God. Doesn't mean I'm obedient every time. But I'm not doing this. Trying to fend them off, and to me, the the real question, you know, if like from from what what we've shared and what you've heard, you know, when when that word goes out about losing losing your life, it it can get the mind ticking over, particularly, you know, um, and, and can produce anxiety or insecurity or you know a, a sense of oh I'm I because. Because the level of intensity and the conviction of the word comes, and I feel like to me the big question is is not so much, um, you know, like I feel like it's a very valid question, 
as a one-off or is it, or is it multiple? I feel like in terms of what happens when you're confronted with the living word, it actually doesn't matter, you know, in the sense that if, if, if the, the word comes and it identifies something in you where you realize that I'm still living for me, at the end of the day, the response needs to be repentance to the word where you say, God, I'm not in what I'm hearing because even if you... Even if you have lost your life, there's still, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's not a greater dimension of Christ to enter into through repentance. So in either instance, can we be a people that hear the word, allow it to, it says that it, um, that it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and every time when it does that, allow it to test your heart, in a, not in a, I'm going to get all insecure and I'm going to go away and hide and never come back here ever again. But in a, oh my goodness, I've heard something that's calling me to a higher reality than what I'm currently living in and I'm humbling myself to that word and it's coming inside it and it's and it's and it's it's cutting in a as like a surgeon's scalpel and doing a work within me where I'm actually brought into a greater reality than what I've known before. Does that make sense? And so to me, the, the response is the same either way. You know, it's like whenever the word is preached, do we have the humility of heart to receive that word within us? Um, you know, it says that in Acts, um, you know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it said God granted them repentance, which led to life. You know, they heard about something. They heard this, this word that, that talked about, um, you know, living like Christ and it, and it, and it said the Holy Spirit granted them repentance. So I just, to me, that's that's where it, that's where it's at, you know, because um, I feel like, like what Greg said, it's not either or; it's both. Actually, it doesn't matter. What matters is have we found repentance, and are we laying hold of everything that we've been laid hold of for? You know, I hope does it help. Don't you love the way Sam puts things? Any other questions? Sam, can you just remind us what repentance is again? Because, you know... We hear that word a lot, and we have thoughts about it, but it's important we have God's thinking about what repentance actually is. Great question. I think um, there's, a, there's an enormous difference between saying sorry and repentance, you know? Saying sorry, you, um, you acknowledge that there's something wrong, but you don't want necessarily to change, and to me, um, you know... If, if you're sorry for something, you um, you can potentially acknowledge it and stay the same. There's no vulnerability. Whereas repentance, literally in the Greek, it means to change the way you think. You know, but 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 that doesn't necessarily mean that you get the scriptures and you try to academically learn more. Repentance means a complete 
change in attitude, a change of perspective, a change in heart motive, where when the word comes and you hear, like we've looked at this morning, something bigger than what you're in, you, something in you um, needs to change. Where, where Mel shared this morning about God's, um, how certain God's promise is. To me, repentance looks like, oh, I don't, like, you go from being convinced in your unbelief to you turn and repentance looks like you've got, you have a brand new heart attitude towards what God says that has you living in a completely different way. To, to me, that's what repentance looks like. I don't know about for, for others. I'll just read this. This is 2 Corinthians 7. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, which is Paul, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Sounds like he contradicts himself, doesn't it? He's not. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And I'll give you a a living testimony of repentance, okay? And it's in my own life because it's 10 years ago, if you'd spoken to me, I would have told you that the number one priority of God was to reach lost people. And I was fully convinced of that reality because that's the revelation that I had up until that point, that God's primary purpose was to reach lost people. Holy Spirit said, let's go on a journey, 18-month journey, and I want to unpack some things. I'm going to dismantle some of the mindsets that you have because not all the things that you think are me. And through that journey, he then started to reveal his number one priority, which was to love him. So I'm going from what I'm thinking, number one, is functional to relational. Even though I did love him and the way I was leading, it was very functional. So he started to unpack his living scriptures and bring to light things like the bride of Christ. Well, the bride of Christ is all related to a relational reality. And it says that you know, people turned up at this feast and they, they, they weren't worthy, they weren't spiritually fit, they weren't mature. So all of a sudden, through my mind starting to get renewed, God starts to give me brand new thinking, which created a change in me. And if you were around here, you would have heard the difference, because all of a sudden now there's a different word coming out of the vessel. I have never, ever in 10 years gone back to saying it's primary about the lost. This entire place has gone on that journey, and we have not looked back. So this is what true repentance is. It, you turn. It's permanent, and you walk a brand new direction. The lost are very important to God. I was lost once. And he sent his son for me. Please don't hear, I'm not into the lost. I love, I hang out with people that don't know God. I love them. I'm, I lay my life down both for the church and for lost people. But 
When God shows you his version of his word through revelation of power, you lead another way. Now, there was a bit of godly sorrow, not godly so there was sorrow in that. We've gone through that process because there's an unearthing that happens here and here. And priorities get shaken. And so all of a sudden, though, but I can tell you today, I'm in a life I wasn't in 10 years ago. I'm in a rest that I didn't know 10 years ago. And so he says he will bring the life. Through repentance comes life. And I think the challenge, guys, for us is, and I mean the body of Christ, is predominantly, okay, predominantly, the message that I'd say we've pretty much all heard is John the Baptist's message of repentance from sin and iniquity. And then you try to live a good life, be morally correct, do good things, and then wait for eternity. And we celebrate this life we've lived on earth. Yeah? And there's truth to that, but that's not the whole purposes of God. There are dimensions within God that the scriptures speak of that, and this is what I started to get unearthed from that into something far greater. And you start reading things that challenge you. You know, I started reading scriptures and I started asking questions of the scriptures. And the question I would hope you ask yourself is this Am I worthy? Am I living a life worthy? Because he's telling me if I love Danielle more, I'm not worthy. What happened to me is for years I just ignored that or didn't even see it. Okay? I had no spiritual awareness of it. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, go back and read that again. And the Holy Spirit, see this is the key, this is why love covers. The Holy Spirit, he knows where we're all at. And he comes and he meets us where we're all at and wants to journey where we're all at. But don't write someone else's journey off as not being of him because you don't understand it. Don't run away from people that are actually being who God is speaking to about something maybe for you because it maybe creates fear because you're like going, are you saying this? Are you saying that? No, no, no. So he meets us in our place. But what happened to me is he started challenging me and asking me. I was asking questions. I'm going, whoa. You really mean this stuff. Yeah, that's why I wrote it down. And I didn't have eyes to see it. I'm not ashamed of that. Because there's no shame in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. I just didn't have eyes to see it because my mind hadn't been renewed to it. And God was okay with that. But a time came where he came and he knocked on the door and said, Hey, Greg. Who is it? It's me. Who? Want to come on a journey? Yes. Let's go. And then he teaches. And all of a sudden, he brings you into a reality that's in the unseen. But you're still in the seen realm. But your inner realm starts to shift. So you are eating food from another realm. You're seeing things. You start seeing what is written. So the scriptures clarify and confirm what the Spirit is showing you. You're not getting it primarily from the scriptures. You're getting it from the one of the scriptures. And the one of the scriptures is showing you what's written. 
Can you hear the difference? You're not trying to come into life through you and the scriptures. In Christ, Christ is revealing his own words to you. And so you're getting revelation through Christ reading about it. They're confirming what the Christ is showing you, the one of the scriptures. Don't seek the scriptures thinking you have eternal life. Seek me. I am eternal life and I'll bring the scriptures to life. So Paul and all the people that are writing are writing from a revealed place. Well, you need the Holy Spirit to bring the revealed place to you so then you can make sense of the scriptures. It's very different than trying to just seek the scriptures through your mind to get understanding and wonder why you're not into life. Because it's coded, it's encrypted, it's concealed from but for. So there were things concealed from me that I couldn't see. I could read about them, but I couldn't, I wasn't in the life of them. Does that make sense? So it's not just knowing about them through reading, it's about knowing them. And the Holy Spirit engraving them on your heart. It's like breathing. <gasps> and you've just received revelation. Not just intellectualism. Revelation from another source because you surrendered. And all of a sudden you know you didn't come up with it. And you know you didn't learn it. It was shown you. It was imparted. James says receive through humility a word implanted in your soul which is able to save you. It talks about words that you're hearing that's performing a work in you, bringing you into, in here, a domain called the kingdom of God because the kingdom is within me and it's being implanted by the king of that kingdom. And so you're eating and drinking from a living eternal reality which is in the kingdom, but the kingdom is within you. But I can't give it to you, but I can speak of it. So what you see, what you hear is coming from an invisible place within me and within Sam and Joe and Mal and other people. But how do you get access to that? Give me the how-to for that. Yeah? Give me the how. What's man's methodology? It's called lose your life. Surrender your life. Seek with all your life. Oh, really? thought it was going to be something I bought off the shelf. No, it's not. And so you get asked these questions of your own life, which is okay, and he's covering you, and he's loving you, and he's patient, and he's kind, and he's gentle. So I just want to say, we're, 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 it's time. It's time. It's time for us as a church, and we've been saying this for a while, but to declare a greater reality for us in Christ. And don't let what you're hearing bring you low, let it inspire you. I pray you're hearing, you go, man, really? Is this possible? It sounds like a movie. No, it's to be in Christ. It's the in Christ life. Saints, judge angels. They were invited to the wedding feast, but they weren't considered worthy. So he turns to the Gentiles and goes, same invitation, but don't be found like them. Come into this reality because you're grafted into a reality and I'm making two people become one and I will have her. 
But it's all concealed in a realm called the Spirit. Hence, the Holy Spirit has been given to lead us into the fullness of life in Christ, in us. And so everything that we see is to come from the manifestation of life within us. And this is the challenge, because this is why you can have a form of godliness or have godliness. You try to copy rather than imitate. Because we're still looking through the natural lens. And then we're trying to apply through the natural rather than receive through the spiritual the word we become who we've been called to be and we just live. It takes all the self-effort and help out of it. And that's what we struggle with. Well, certainly we might. No, we don't. (laughs) You lose and then all of a sudden there's a partnership And the work that God started, what does it say? He will perfect it. Where? In you. And so we're all confronted. I was confronted with a reality by the Holy Spirit I was not in. And I'm giving a choice. He gives me a choice. He gives me an invitation. He would have given me the invitation the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day, a year, because he's never going away. And he waits. The invitation is there and he waits. Aren't you glad he waits? And he waits and he says, I wonder if someone's going to pick that invitation up today and open it. What do you reckon, Father? No, he was too busy watching football that day. Okay. We still love him, though, eh? Yeah, man. See all the potential of him. Yeah, man. Let's call it out of him again. Let's see if he hears us call him out who he's called to be. Hey, Simnor, you're called to be a saint. You're called to be a son. You're called to be a priest. You're called to be my bride. You're called to be a nation. You're called to be a soldier. You're called to be living for something higher than what you've ever thought you were called to live for, than what your mum and dad talked to you about. You're of my bloodline, son. You're of my spirit. Come on, son, hear the word, hear the word, hear the word, hear the word. Oh, he's starting to waken up. Look, he's starting to wake up. He's put Liverpool down. Oh, my goodness, he's starting to waken up. He's making choices. He's opening the envelope. Oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. It's happening. Yes, it's happening. Here we go. And he said, yes. And all of heaven is there. (laughs) And how we respond to what he's saying and doing will be what divides it's on the response that actually creates the division to him. And um, he waits, and we need to learn to wait too, eh? That's... Yeah. There's this place where comes on the table, he convinces us, and then there's this battle to keep believing and keep waiting because there's a lot of other voices and stuff that says there must be more, I need to do more, there's this place of having to go, no, I'm actually just going to take him at his word and believe that he's going to do what he's going to do. And I don't care, even if you guys think that whatever you think, because I'm actually going to believe him. And there's quite a lot of, I think, for me at least, that generated a lot of internal tension. It says about Abraham, eh, that, that through faith and patience he inherited the promises, you know. Surely that's not a good recipe, you know. <laughs> like, and that hoping against hope, like every year that went by, <laughs> it looked less likely 
all of the evidence was going in the other direction. But um, why do I say that? I say it because um, he, he does what he does first, so there is that convincing he has imparted that. And the, the work from rest is in standing there and not moving and waiting. Melissa's comment. Um, I just wanted to say, so actually this morning Jeremy made me a coffee and it's in a cup called Believe and it's a cup I've had for years and, um, and I, when I was drinking out of it I, I actually said those words, um, I believe and um, which is what Joe's just been talking about but I, I just wanted to share that I have been in a place where what has just been shared, um, you know, a few a few years uh, over the last few years, <laughs> um, I even reading the verse um, this week and knowing what we were focusing on, I had been in a place where I where I would have felt like this is going to be a hard message this morning, um, but I'm not in that place anymore. Not because I did anything to make that happen, but because God had to move me out of a place that I was stuck in, that I would come here and there would be such a wrestle going on in my spirit of what I was hearing that I wanted to be in, but wasn't. And until I lay it down... Um, and just completely gave it to him and said, only you can do this for me, God. Then he did. And so my heart for us this morning is that we would actually believe what he says. And, you know, we've come out of lockdown, and during lockdown, the word that we received was the Holy Spirit as the teacher. And... The passage that we're focused on is the red letters. It's Jesus' words. He said them. And the Holy Spirit gets to teach us what those words truly mean. And he's using, this morning, four people on the stage that have a beautiful way of communicating to us. But my prayer, and I know the prayer of us all, is that we would go away today... And we would allow the Holy Spirit to actually bring us into more truth than we are currently in and that we would believe what the Word says. We would receive it and we would actually walk in it. And so that's my prayer for us as a body. And I guess I I just felt that I needed to share that because I understand what it's like to be in a place where there's such a wrestle going on to want to receive but to not know how. But it's only through the power of the Spirit that actually happens. You can't make it happen. Don't worry, I tried. It doesn't work. And you just end up in a frustrated mess. And so I just pray that... um, that that speaks to wherever people are at and that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
would be our first place teacher and that but we actually get to receive from these people also who have spent some time seeking the spirit and the word to bring us what we just got to hear this morning and so I, I honour them for that too. Just in closing, can you pray, Melissa, for us? And I just feel as Melissa's praying, if, if what Melissa's shared has resonated in you, just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you this morning as Melissa prays and to, to bring to light what it is that she's saying. Lord, I I just thank you for the beautiful work of the Spirit. I thank you that you love each and every person that walked through the doors of this building this morning. We are the church. It's not about the building. We are the church. And you love to meet us wherever we are at. And Lord, I know that what you wrote in your word is challenging. It challenges us to the core. But God, it challenges us for all the right reasons. And we want to be challenged by you, God, because you love us. You care about us. You are such a good father who wants such good things for his children. And so, God, I pray for our family this morning. I pray for that belief to come, for those who are struggling to believe. I pray that you would do that deep work in their spirit to bring them and us wherever we are at. I'm not in the fullness of what I know you have for me. And so this is an us thing. It's together that we are going to come into more of what you have for us. And I thank you that your heart is so big for us. It is bigger than any of our hearts are for each other because you are the lover of our hearts. You love us, you created us, and you want the best for us. And so just do what you do best, God. May your spirit move and have a being within each and every one of us. And may you that sword of the Spirit. May it cut away the things that need to go, God. And may we be truly open to what that looks like. May we not resist that, God, but may we humble ourselves before you and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. And you will meet us in that place and you will pour your love on us and it will only be better than where we are currently at because that's how good you are. So just bless this day, bless the people that came here this morning and thank you that we are a family, that we love each other, that we support each other wherever we are at and that we walk beside each other just as you walk beside us and we love that you do that, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thanks, Melissa. Um, just before we do leave or go to the cafe, just remind you of the little brochure that we were given at the start, just around the giving. And if you did want to give today, we, we haven't handed out the buckets, but if you wanted to do that at all, just do that with the guys on the counter. Um, outside of that, um, we'll see you tonight if you're coming out f- at 5pm for banquet, just more of this type of food that we're eating and digesting. 
Have an awesome afternoon. If you have questions, please feel free to come and ask any one of us or someone down there as well. You want to email them through, that'd be cool. Have a cool day. All this checking the boxes, trying to be flawless, has me spinning my head, catching my breath, too afraid to slow down. I tell myself to keep this up, that God wants more than just my love, but I've been complicated. It's just like